In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the Camp. You're on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Badgers go on the road, lose again, this time a 28-7 setback at Iowa. They lose the Heartland Trophy for the first time in five years. They're under 500 for the first time in five years at 2-3. and three. They also haven't scored more than 10 points, or I should say 10 points or more in three straight games for the first time since 1990. It has been ugly. We'll get to all the ugliness. Probably try and find some positives as well and also get into your Twitter questions. But, uh, Jesse, it was... I don't know, just a replay of the previous two weeks offensively. Wisconsin uh, able to move the ball a little bit, but unable to really get anything going once in the red zone. They had a first and goal at the five after a turnover, couldn't get anything in there. They took advantage of the one turnover on the punt, but otherwise just really another rough, rough offensive effort, including for quarterback Graham Mertz. I'm tired of watching this offense. I really didn't think I would say that, especially after two games when they were averaging 47 per game, but this has just been disastrous the the you said it when you're making comparisons to 1990 wisconsin football that was barry alvarez's first season that was when the badgers were a doormat in the big 10 um this is not a good thing so it's the same story i feel like it's just a broken record or you could play our conversation from the last two weeks but they don't have enough playmakers and obviously the ones that they have weren't available they didn't have danny davis or kendrick Pryor, and i think you're seeing what a substantial difference that makes and and perhaps some of the issues they've had in recruiting that position without having those big time dynamic playmakers, certainly not a Quintez Cephas on, on the roster right now. And then they learned Friday morning that they're not going to have Jalen Berger and, and Graham Mertz said afterward, or he intimated that it was because Jalen had COVID-19 and um, Paul Chris said they had a game plan in Jalen was part of that game plan. It's really difficult when you learn on Friday that he's not going to be available and Garrett Groshek and Nakia Watson just haven't been able to produce those big plays. So when you don't have much to work with and you don't have your quarterback playing very well at all, it's a recipe for disaster. And to me, the epitome of of what we've seen the last three weeks was that fourth and one wildcat with Garrett Groshek when he got blown up for a six-yard loss. It was just, this is not the Wisconsin football team we've seen or are used to seeing uh in, in previous seasons but this year they just they can't put it together for a number of different reasons true and um a lot of t- a lot of touches for guys that were that were walk-ons and wisconsin has a very very good walk-on program right but you know relying on uh, jack dunn relying on garrett groshek to be your playmakers is not what i think many envision coming into this but yeah i mean losing jalen Berger as soon as i saw that jalen Berger was out you know it was going to be a tough uphill you know climb no matter what because Iowa's defense is pretty good. But when that came down, and you saw, obviously, Kendrick Pryor, and you knew Danny Davis wasn't going to be there, it it became a situation where you knew they were going to struggle. And yet, their struggles just, you know, <laughs> continued to be like, how is this possible? Because you, the, the offense that you put together, I mean, is Danny Davis that good? Is Danny Davis <laughs> that good that they go from, you know, 47 points a game down to not being able to score more than 10. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I like Danny. I think he's a very good player, but he ain't that good. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm not sure that singularly he is that good that he could he could transform the offense. But you add up all of these pieces together, and I mean, Wisconsin is not an offense that's going to have their fourth wide receiver be some five star guy that comes in off the bench like maybe some other program. So it, it's just it's a lot more glaring when you lose your top couple of guys at wide receiver and your top running back in this year of all years, because I think clearly we've, we've all been spoiled by what Wisconsin has been able to produce in the backfield at churning out running backs who are NFL quality guys who are Doak Walker award winners. And, and Jalen may well be that in the future or come close to that, but you look at the rest of the roster and it's just not there. I mean, maybe it's not fair to say Nakia just, isn't that guy or, or won't be the, the big time playmaker that John Settle had hoped when he recruited him out of Texas because he still is a young player, but we haven't seen it yet. And you mentioned Garrett Groshek, a, a guy who comes in as a walk on uh, is your number two running back. And and the same thing with wide receiver. You talk about guys who come in as walk ons. Jack Dunn was going to be the number three receiver coming into this season. Best case scenario. He got a game high nine targets. I mean, he was Graham Mertz's number one guy. They put Devin Chandler in there, who I think showed a lot of promise, true freshman, but he hadn't caught a pass in his career before the Iowa game. Brady Shipper's in there. That's another sort of mind-blowing situation. Wisconsin found himself in, in a type of spot where late in the second quarter on first down, the first running back they put in for that particular drive is Shipper, who hadn't carried it all this year. He's a walk-on. He had eight carries in his career. He catches a pass. A.J. Abbott caught a pass, and he had caught one pass before earlier this season. So that's a lot of youth. That's a lot of inexperience. And and I know Wisconsin doesn't want to use that as an excuse in a year where everyone's been dealing with challenges unique to this year. But uh, it's all added up, and it's just created, like I said, a recipe for disaster. All that said, Graham Mertz not really playing at a, at a very good level right now. And we can admit that, right? Like they there no. they there have there were some open receivers. I'm I'm mostly thinking about the fourth down call that where they had, you know, what turned out to be a, a pick play and there was a blitz, right? So they, he had to get rid of it probably sooner than he wanted to, but he fired it in there. When if he had just floated it up, you know, a little bit to the left, Jack Dunn walks in for a touchdown. You know what I mean? So there there were throws continually that are just off a little bit and they get you know tipped and one almost one did get picked off though it was called back he he hit other guys too high some guys were too low like the the accuracy just isn't there and look the talent you know that he's working with is what it is but he's got to make some plays too right like he he has to make up because of his pedigree because of who we think he is he has to make up for some of the uh, lack of uh, weapons, doesn't he? By actually giving them an opportunity to make plays, because there were plays to be made, and he didn't. He didn't uh, help them make them. Yeah, absolutely. I, and look, Graham has been dealt a rough hand this season for a couple different reasons. You know, obviously with having COVID nineteen and having to recover from that, and then not having your playmakers. But at the same time, it's exactly like you said. If he's as good as we all believe he is, and and he's he's as good as he was in that season opener, then he's the type of quarterback who needs to help elevate this offense. And he just look, hasn't looked comfortable for the last handful of games. I know that they've been going up against good defenses, but it's not going to be the last time that Wisconsin plays good Big Ten defenses and that Mertz does as well. And some of those final throws that he made in the fourth quarter really illustrated it. You talk about the done throw. The play before that, it was a third and ten from the Iowa 18. He had a crossing route to Jake Ferguson, and he threw behind him. And then you, you mentioned that he had done wide open. It would have been a touchdown, and he threw behind him. And, you know, Jack said after the game that he wasn't expecting – the throw that early and there are obviously a lot of things they have to clean up 
And then the final the nail in the coffin when they got fourth and goal at the two and, and Mason Stockey is out there wide open in the back of the end zone. And Graham said his first read was to Ferguson and then he looked back and there was a miscommunication on whether Stockey was going to stop or continue going in his route. But that throw didn't have a chance. It was intercepted in the end zone. And so Graham just, it, it's a lot of different problems, but he's got one touchdown and five interceptions during this three-game losing streak, and that's turning the ball over way too much. And I think as we're having this discussion, the natural uh, progression is what about Jack Cohn? I'm sure fans have been asking that. They, they certainly have in the last week or so. And I thought it was interesting after the game that when Paul was asked specifically about whether he thought using Jack as a spark he basically said Jack wasn't available or they didn't plan to have him available. So no, it wasn't an option, but he doesn't specify why, even though Jack was in uniform and on the sideline, standing there giving advice to Graham and wearing a headset. So I don't know what's going on there, but uh, it's just another component to what's been a bizarre year. A couple of things there uh, that you're talking about. Well, why is Jack Cohn dressed if he can't play? I don't exactly. understand. I don't get that. That's one. And then, you know, the done throw and then the the, uh, the stocky throw in the end zone. Flip those two throws. You, you put way too much <laughs> way too much heat on the one to Dunn, and he was under pressure. And first of all, you know, Dunn said that they brought zero pressure. Why wouldn't you be expecting the ball to come to you quick then? You know what I mean? Like, why were you not? <laughs> I mean, you, you, person, you said it was cover zero. You know they're coming. Why would you not be expecting the ball to come at you quickly? That, that is what it is. But... Um, yeah, flip those two throws. Bullet to Stocky perhaps gets through there. Probably not, but maybe. Certainly not the the soft toss that he did. And the one to Dunn, if he, if he soft toss it, he's able to you know perhaps run under it or you know run with it a little bit. But they have to catch balls that aren't necessarily where they need to be. Um, that's just what happens. Everything's not going to be perfect in football. You have to make some plays. But yeah, Graham just hasn't for whatever reason. And I, I don't want to make excuses, of course, for him, but there are a lot of things going against him. And do you think COVID is still having an, uh, has an impact on him right now? Or is that probably too much speculation? To me, that's too much speculation. I mean, I, you know, I'm fortunate to, at this point, not have experienced that, so I can't speak from personal experience. And um, But that was also, uh, what, over a month ago? You know, since he's been out of the protocol or since at least the 14 day window and then he could start ramping back up. Um, So to me, it would be it would be speculation. I mean, the question about whether he's in danger of losing his job or anything that like that to me yesterday showed that the answer is no. If ever there was a moment where you felt like you needed somebody else to come in and provide a spark, I thought it would have been that game. Um, And again, we we don't really know the situation surrounding Jack. It seems to me to be. Very bizarre, um, because if he was available, that's the game where you would you would put him in, and, and maybe that says, that's another question that I would have had, is if you do make a change, what does that say about what you think the future of the program is? Like, where's the direction of the program if you put in a senior? But, I mean, it's Graham's show, and I think people, they're going to look back at this season and say, like, he needed the reps, he got the reps, this team got beat up, but hopefully these young guys can develop and be better next year and they can have more of a full complement of players, which we don't even know what the roster will look like because we don't know which seniors will decide to come back, but that's another story. Right. You, you talk about getting the reps. He is as confident of a kid as I can remember talking to, you know, in just the way that he you know handles his business and the things that he's gone through certainly has not hit his confidence, at least the way that he's talking. So I'm wondering if the reps that he's getting – 
could be taking a hit at his confidence at all. And are you when you keep on throwing him out there, you know, feel again, as I said, it felt like just an, an uphill struggle and it has been the last three weeks. Maybe just give him a an opportunity to watch from the sideline. I don't know. Maybe even Chase Wolf. Just again, you you are doing nothing. You've scored you are in 30 years worth of history here not being able to score more than 10 points in three straight games. That's, I mean, that's a lot of football for that not to happen in the last 30 years at Wisconsin. And obviously, Wisconsin's been very good in that stretch, but he's leading an offense that has done that. There's no reason, you know, not even just to, just to give him a different perspective. I know he watched a ton last year, but just a different perspective and, and seeing more stuff from the sideline. I, to throw him out there is just, is, I, I think at this point, is continuing to endanger him. But in terms of confidence-wise, even though he is as confident, he says he's as confident as he has ever been. But I don't know. That would seem to be, I believe him, but eh, I don't know. Yeah, there's no doubt that it's been frustrating, and he used that word himself. And I have to imagine, it, to some degree, your your confidence wavers at least a little, even though he specifically said that that's one thing that you can't have happen. I mean, you don't have the weapons around you. You're consistently making mistakes. The other defense is coming at you every play, and you just can't score. They went 35 drives without a touchdown. I repeat, 35. That is insane. From the first half against Northwestern to finally getting that gift of a touchdown after there was a special teams blunder by Iowa. Um, you do wonder whether that perhaps weighs on him, because if, if you look at the arc of his career in the last several years, he really hasn't faced that much, shall we say, adversity. I mean, he, he was at a different school his sophomore year of high school. He was stuck behind a guy who was a Gatorade player of the year in Kansas. He wasn't going to get playing time, so he transferred to a new school before his junior year. He was named a captain with a bunch of seniors on that team. He led him to a state championship as a junior. He became the most hyped recruit Wisconsin's ever had and uh, had another great senior season. And last year, just he really didn't get all that many reps, but whenever he did, it, it felt like a really big deal. And the first couple games, Wisconsin was rolling this year. So to me, this is really the first time that he's faced something quite like this certainly in the span that he's become a known commodity on the on the football scene and I'll be interested to see how he does respond but he does carry himself in a way that suggests he'll be able to do it and I, I asked your question about whether they should have put in Chase Wolf or somebody else maybe it gives him a break but I sort of also think like if Graham's the best quarterback that you have available on the roster what is putting somebody else in who's been behind him for a long time really going to do with an offense that hasn't been able to move maybe you get lucky and, and, and chase does something but since they didn't do it that tells me that they're just going to roll with graham for the rest of this season oklahoma earlier this year was spencer rattler who obviously was in that same class as graham and was at the all-american game and and all that wasn't playing well they put him on the bench for for a time uh against i'm not sure who it was against me it might have been texas or I'm not positive. It was early in the year, and they put him on the bench because he wasn't playing well. And the backup came in and, and played a little bit. They gave Spencer another shot, and he took off. Like I, the benching him or putting him on the sideline does, isn't doesn't mean that he's done. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't mean yeah. that he's never going to play again. It's just giving him a different not uh, a different view, and maybe uh you know just relax, take a minute. We'll look what else is going on here. And uh, again, that Paul Chris, he's not going to do it. It doesn't seem like. I mean, if he wasn't, if he didn't do it on Saturday, he's not going to do it at any other point this year. You would think so, unless Jack was available. At, you know, unless Jack was available, right? Like, I think the, you could potentially right. do that, but he's not. I guess. I guess. So they they won't. Oof. Right. And here's the other problem. I think too is, I think lesser quarterbacks in recent history at Wisconsin have performed better because they've had 
a running back or a handful of running backs who could do something. Let's just look at what happened against Iowa. Your top two running backs, at least entering the game, where you had Nakia and Garrett, those guys combined for 19 carries and 38 yards, two yards a carry. I mean, they averaged 1.7 yards per attempt, and that factors in some of Graham's losses. But in general, they couldn't do anything. If there's one thing that Wisconsin has to have available to it, it is a stout offensive line with a running game that can push the pile, that can get first downs, even if the passing attack isn't there. So I think you don't have that, and then you're asking Graham to go out and he throws 38 times, and he's thrown a fair amount in recent games, and some of that has to do with being behind. It's just you're not going to win. You're not going to be successful. You're not, and they haven't been. So, <laughs> right? So that's, that, that was Graham. We'll get into a little bit more of the offense uh, in, in a few minutes. But defensively, they held their own until it was, yeah. you know, uh, until the, the backbreaker of that 80-yard run. You know, they let Smith-Marset get deep a couple times, and it, that was significant. Also, what the hell are you doing, man? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Leaping into the end zone, doing the flip into the end zone, and spraining your ankle? Because that looked, it looked bad. Yeah. Great, great player, but that was as stupid of a celebration as I can remember. It's it's up there with the Grammatica jumping around after kicking a field goal and tearing his ACL. Like it's just stupidity. But either way, he good player, no doubt. But I thought the defense, <laughs> but I but I thought the defense, especially the front seven, controlled that game until it was just too late. I mean, outside you take away that eighty yard run that they had, and I think the defense gave up forty seven yards on the other thirty one carries. Mm-hmm. So. They and they also had they got a pair of sacks. Isaiah Loudermilk had a sack. Noah Burks had a sack. They had six tackles for loss. I mean, I thought they did a very good job against the, the Iowa running game, especially early. And it's just uh, you know I think they were just on the field way too long. And it has to be so demoralizing when you you give the you give the offense the ball at the five yard line. And you can't and they can't get in. It's just defensively they weren't. I mean, look, they gave up twenty eight points. They gave up. Uh, you know the, the most yards they've given up all year, but this loss far from on the defense. They they more than did enough, uh, especially you know the first three and a half quarters to be uh, involved in that game. Yeah, I'm not going to put this one on the defense, nor will I for the last two games. To me, they've continued to play like one of the best defenses in the country, and you can argue well they haven't played as many games as some of the as other teams, but it was a battle of punts. These teams were fighting to have more first downs than punts, and I, I felt like the defense did its part. They went into halftime, and it was six to nothing. You know, you give up six points to any team in one half, and you should be in position to win. Except that Wisconsin happened to go scoreless. So, I, I, you know, they had a couple breakdowns. You're right, Smith Marset caught a couple touchdowns. He, he had the long one, which I think obviously hurt because Wisconsin had finally scored, gotten it to within fourteen seven, and, and then the last run was. Yeah, he broke off an 80-yarder, but that was after the back-breaking pick in the end zone when the game was basically over. I'm, I Again, I, I really can't fault the team defensively. You know, perhaps you'd like some better play in the secondary to not give up those scores. But if we're going to talk about all the mistakes that the offense has made, certainly the defense is allowed to make a couple of mistakes, uh, which, again, to me, didn't cost Wisconsin the game. It's the fact that the offense has basically been inept for three games. What do you think the MVP of the defense is this year? Wow, that is a that is a good good question. The, um, the reason I ask is because I think it's such a team defense. Like I don't think there's standouts. Like there there are good players, very good players. You know, uh, Jack Sanborn and, and and Leo Chanel are certainly guys that stand out. Eric Burrell, another one, and then the defensive line. You know, is, doesn't get as many opportunities, but you know, it's it is a team 
more than any individual player. So that that was the the reason for the question. Yeah, if if I had to pick somebody, I'm inclined to say it's Sanborn. He's he's the leader of the linebacker group. He leads the team in tackles. But you're right. It's the, the whole deal with Wisconsin is it's the sum of the parts. That's what makes them special. You've got the guys on the D line who uh, often don't get enough credit, but help to open up those lanes for guys like Sanborn and Leo Chanel. And it like one guy on the, on the defense that I feel like has the wow factor that I wouldn't say is the MVP, but probably will be in a couple years is Nick Herbig. The guy has six tackles for loss. He's a true freshman. Nobody else on the roster has more than two tackles for loss. He's just puts himself in position to make plays. I've been so impressed with him. So I'll say Sanborn, but it's close. You could probably pick a handful of different guys, and I think that's what's made this defense so good. It's not like just one guy who's going to wind up with 140 tackles, or obviously they won't in a, se- in a shortened season, but that's not what makes this defense successful. Right. All right, let's get into a little sold or not sold. Uh, you mentioned Devin Chandler earlier in the show. He had two catches, his first two catches of his career. I believe both went for first downs. Devin Chandler. Sold or not sold, deserves more playing time. I'm sold. You know, they're, they're desperately seeking a playmaker. He got his opportunity. He made a handful of plays. They they have used him previously um, on kick returns because there's been an injury. Um, so give him a shot. Like, honestly, what do you have to lose? I, I feel like he he has the potential to be one of those recruiting steals and somebody that will be a, a significant contributor for this team offensively. So why not? Well, I mean, there's a lot of why nots you could ask about this team and why guys aren't playing, but for whatever reason, they aren't. Uh, Devin Chandler's, I think, will continue to get more reps, especially if you don't get Kendrick Pryor back or, or, or Danny Davis back or or, Stephen Bra- or Stephon Bracey back. Like, if those guys aren't not coming back, he's, he's going to get time, you would think, because he was more productive than any of the other young guys like i mean he, what did chimray end up with three catches two catches like they yeah he had two two catches for 24 yards yeah i mean uh devin chandler's thrown two twice caught both passes uh mm-hmm. you know i i would think that there's going to be you would think that there's more playing time for him but like the the idea of what's there to lose i don't think wisconsin looks at it like that you know what i mean like i think we look <laughs> at that like that but i don't think they look at it like that because otherwise we'd be seeing a whole ton of young guys playing and and we're not we're not for the most part. Well, I suppose, okay, I look at it like, and I, I touched on this earlier, but you you need a playmaker. You need somebody who can come in and be productive, and that's what he did. So it's not like, let's just throw somebody out there who's completely unprepared and not ready. I mean, he showed that he's capable of doing it. So if you provide him with a bigger opportunity and a bigger role, especially if these other receivers aren't available, um, sure, it's, it's why not, it's what do you have to lose, but it's also like this guy could help be I don't know. Is I don't want to say a foundational piece for the future, but who knows? He's he's got something there. There's something there, and I think it's different when we're talking about well, a true freshman hasn't really been productive yet, and we're talking about redshirt sophomores. I think AJ Abbott seems to be potentially on the cusp. We haven't seen Taj Mustafa, so for a true freshman, I think it's it's even more meaningful to get him in there because maybe you just he wasn't ready early, but he is now. Well, think about the other two freshmen that have played recently. Quintez Sivas had four catches as a freshman. A.J. Taylor, what, uh, did he even have? I'm trying to think if he even had a catch as a as a true freshman. Yeah, he had three catches for 53 yards. Like, these guys weren't necessarily huge contributors right away, but they turned out to be some pretty good players, right? So 
I, I would agree with you. Deserves certainly more playing time. Uh, this is a, kind of more of a big picture question. Uh, sold or not sold? I'm concerned about the direction of the program after going two and five in their last seven games. Wow, I had completely forgotten about the two losses last season, which I don't really include because those were Ohio State and Oregon in the Rose Bowl. But all the losses, to be fair, all the losses are against teams ranked in the top twenty-five. I don't think I'm concerned right now about the direction of the program. Um, there is definitely something offensively that makes that gives you reason for pause, and I don't know because I don't know what this offense looks like next year. Like, is this? This could be the personnel next year if you you don't have Danny or you don't have Kendrick because they're seniors and they choose to move on. I really don't know. I if Berger if Berger can be a, a top line running back, which we think he can, I think that will help a lot. But to me, that's a that's a big part of the problem. And then they've had these whiffs in receiver recruiting, and that was masked last year by a guy like Quintez. So I'm not sure I can definitively say one way or the other because it's like. It's definitely a problem, and maybe they're going to have to ask guys in the 2021 class to play early, but you might get some of the same struggles you're having now. You might, but Chimray DK another year, you know, we'll see what happens with Devin Chandler. Like I, I, they, I think they do have some talented young receivers that are going to continue to grow, you would hope, with Graham, and Jalen certainly is going to be a part of that as well. And then it's the offensive line. Like I think if, uh, if they had a dominant group, they could overcome the lack of a passing game. Or if they had a guy in the backfield that was a big time player that you know maybe not a true freshman, just a big time player that you could you could count count on and turn the ball you know turn around and hand the ball to. I'm thinking about 2015 or excuse me 2014, where you had no passing game whatsoever, but you had Melvin Gordon, you had a very dominant, you had a really good offensive line. The, the offensive line is not playing, I think maybe as well as we thought it it could this year. Mm-hmm. But the future of the program at the line is very very bright. Right, like I mean, oh yeah, it, with the with the talent that they are bringing in, star wise, it doesn't guarantee anything, obviously, but star wise, like that is trending up, and you would hope that that becomes a dominant unit. They haven't been that this year, and I, I think at least partially it's the result of not having spring ball and then having a you know a, a fall camp that was kind of all over the place. But you know that usually can mask issues in the passing game, they just don't, they don't have that this year. And that's why it's, you're running into the situation you've seen the last three games is when they don't have a passing game to, to help, you can usually turn to the running game, but they don't have that either this year. And so, yeah, this is what happens. I would say from strictly a talent out of high school perspective, this will be the most talent rich, potentially the most talent rich offensive line next year that we've seen. Um, and I'm not saying they're better Certainly not right now better than the 2010, 2011 units, which are all-time units. But I'm talking about the level of talent that these guys come in with out of high school. Um, they don't have Caden Lyles this year now because he's hurt. You know, they they have, they have started with Tanner Bordellini snapping at center, and they moved to Cormac Sampson. And Cormac, Cormac was the one who got beat on that, uh, on that Wildcat run. But Cole Van Lannon, who should be their anchor, I thought he did not have his best game. Um but you, you, I, if you roll it forward, like Logan Brown, the future at left tackle, five-star guy, Jack Nelson, uh, 24-7 five-star guy. I mean, Caden was a four-star guy out of high school. 
and you've, you're bringing in a class that's just ridiculous because you have five-star Nolan Rucci, and then you've got J.P. Benchwell and Riley Mallman, who are both four-star offensive tackles. You've still got Trey Wedding in the program, who was a four-star guy in the 2020 class. So the talent is there. That doesn't necessarily equate to pure dominance, but there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the future with the offensive line. But I think I do agree with you. This, this year's line, for whatever reason, it just uh, it's not one of those quintessential dominant Wisconsin lines, and, and maybe that would help to mask some of the issues. But they also, without Berger, just don't seem to have a, a home run hitter in the backfield. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, by the time anybody listens to this, we may know who Wisconsin's playing next week, uh, perhaps Minnesota. But I'm, I'm thinking about the, the game after that. We've seen some ACC teams turn down uh, bowl opportunities. I believe Pitt turned one down. Uh, Boston College has turned it down. Sold or not sold, Wisconsin should accept a bowl invite. I am sold if the coaches and the players feel like they're not mentally worn out. I honestly believe, and some like some of these other teams who have canceled, in this year that is a legitimate concern. These guys have been through more than, than in any college football season, certainly in, in our lifetimes. You know, you have the season, it's it's going to happen, and then it's canceled, and then it's going to happen, and then they play two games, and then they have a COVID-19 outbreak, and then they don't play again. I, I think that's a legitimate concern. Like, are these guys burned out or do they feel like, no, we, we want one last opportunity? Because if they genuinely believe that, then they should accept the bowl bid and go out and, and play together one last time. Yeah, I, I agree. If that's what they uh, end up wanting to do, I, it, it has been a long season. Paul Christ kind of talked about it after the game yesterday, saying he, he was more asked about the Champions Week game, which seemingly is going to be Minnesota. I don't know if. Wisconsin fans are excited about facing Minnesota now as they were a few weeks ago. Probably not. But, you know, you said you've kind of seen enough of this Wisconsin offense. Yeah. I kind of have too. And so if they were not to play, I'd be okay with that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those things that if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, who really cares? I mean, it's, it's been a long year. It's been an ugly last three weeks. I expect it to be another ugly week if if they end up playing this this weekend. So, but hey, they love playing football, so go for it, I guess. Getting into uh, some Twitter questions: Are the mistakes in the uh, this is Adam asking? Are the mistakes in the passing game the in the correctable column? I'm thinking for next year. It seems like Mertz has the physical capability to succeed. It's just a matter of decision making and a few accuracy and timing tweaks. We can't forget he's still a freshman. Yeah, I think some of those things are, are fixable because look what we saw in the season opener. We know he's capable of it. I think sometimes as you talk about, he he puts a little extra mustard on some of his throws. And I, I remember that even being a, a, a problem in the first week of fall camp when we, back in those days, which we like 100 years ago, we got to watch. Like he, he almost puts too much zip on some of those passes and that can cause him problems. But he's going to put the work in. If he has an opportunity to throw to these guys a little bit more, they'll probably develop better timing and chemistry. So to me, those things are fixable. What is not as fixable is not having enough playmakers in recruiting. Like either you have the guys or you don't. I think they've got a couple coming in, but uh, I, I think Graham will be better. It's just will they have the personnel to fit around Graham and make it worthwhile for him during his career here yeah uh adam asks uh what was lacking most yesterday a the weapons at wide receiver running back b competent play calling or c passion uh it's hard for me to say passion i mean that's really 
calling into question the heart of some of these guys and I'm not inside their their minds or their spirits or something like that. And I know a lot of people have been questioning the play calling and wondering, well, will Paul Chris take back the duties from Joe Rudolph? And I guess I would wonder when you're this handcuffed and understanding these coaches made a lot of money to solve these problems, uh, what exactly would you do? People say run more jet sweeps or try to get to the edge. And maybe you can do that against Michigan, but you're probably not going to be able to do that against Iowa. I don't know who you try to get the ball to in that situation. So I don't know if I'd say that's the problem either. Uh, so I'm ticking off the boxes. I don't know. Yeah. Did it kind of look like Chris was more involved in play calling yesterday? Because he had the he had the card, was marking it up. Like It kind of looked like he was more involved yesterday. Maybe. I don't know. He'd never probably tell you. I mean, I, I was really surprised this week that he, he dove into as much detail as he did about why he decided to give up the play calling duties um, when he talked about, and I think we touched on this last week uh, and you kind of questioned, I said like, well, you know, maybe he wanted to delegate authority and you said, well, you know, for a guy who has thrived so much on in that area, why would he do that? But Paul, Paul really kind of addressed that this week. He, he felt like it was, it was maybe doing a disservice to that uh, and, and being involved with the whole team. I don't know. <laughs> Come on. Like, I, I'm not laughing at you. I, I'm laughing at the idea that, not shortchanging the rest of the team by not play or he's shortchanging the team by doing what he does best. Like, come on. You have a defense coordinator in Jim Leonard who's among the best in the country. Do you really need to spend more time on that? Do you need to spend more time on special teams? Maybe you do. But then if that's the case, maybe you shouldn't have a special teams coach. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's that's what he's that's what his job is. Special teams. He doesn't coach a position, he coach special teams. That's what you have a coach there for. You do what is your you do what you're best at, and what got him his job. You know, it, we went through this last week. I don't need to do it again. But come on, there's the short changing of the rest. No, you're short changing the team by not doing what you do best. That's personally, that's my opinion. Um, you could be right, and, and maybe they'll make some type of switch in the future. I mean, they, they've not been effective, but and I don't really just, understand. And I don't really yeah. get the idea that he didn't have enough time to prepare. What? That's all they. I mean, what? You couldn't go into the office. You couldn't go on the road recruiting. You couldn't, you know, like there was a lot of things you could not do because of COVID. I feel like you'd be as prepared as possible at that situation, you know, to be able to call plays. Did, did you understand that? He probably wanted, well, part of it is what I gathered is he wanted to give more responsibilities to Joe because he says he has confidence and trust sure. in him. And, and, but I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think anybody foresaw what's happening right now. And so now, now it, it makes sense to, try to place blame or to try to figure out what went wrong or what could be better. And and maybe that is an option in the future that he takes back responsibilities. I just, I don't know. I feel like they've been really handcuffed of late and I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I just would ask people who say like, do something different. Who are you going to give the ball to? No, I'm not saying I, if, if he wants to hand it over, that's fine. Right. That he can do what he wants. And you know, it wouldn't matter if he was calling plays or not right now or not. But the idea of giving it up for the reasons that he stated, uh, outside of the ones that, you know, outside of having confidence in, in Joe Rudolph, I don't really buy the other two. I don't. It is, it is what it is. But I don't buy the idea that he, that he felt he was shortchanging the rest of the team by, by being a play caller. It's what you do best. You're shortchanging the team by not doing it. Moving on here. I like that take. I like I like uh, Zach Halpern coming out with the hot fire. Yeah. Adam asks, uh, he finishes up like... Uh, does Cone win that game yesterday? 
Does Jack Cohn win that game yesterday? No. No. <laughs> no. Me neither. No. Uh, Does yeah. Russell Wilson? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, of course. Russell Wilson doesn't lose unless, you know, unless the unless, defense unless you're giving up Hail Marys. Yeah, that's yeah. no. Unless the defense can't stop anybody. That's that's when Russell Russell Wilson loses. Kevin says, we kind of talked about this already, but how much of an impact has the lack of preseason fall practice had on the offensive line not seeing the dominance he's used to? Well, um I don't think it's helped and I mean I know that they were dealing with some injuries like definitely leading into that first week, which Ru- Rudy said before, but I don't know. It's hard to quantify that. I, 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 I can't imagine that uh, they were in a better spot this year than they would have been in any other year because they had less time and, and the, the team's kind of been ravaged by injuries or COVID-19. Yeah, no, I agree. CT Badger uh, says, uh, is the offensive scheme slash game plan totally controlled by Joe Rulf? I'm very concerned by the unimaginative approach and do not attribute it to completely to the guys who are missing. This is a Don Morton level offensive incompetence. Um, <laughs> not quite. Well, it's almost, almost Don Morton. Uh, Don Morton never actually went three games without scoring 10 points, but 1990. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, tough scene. What a factoid. I have a question for you because uh, it's something I was kind of thinking about. Did he, Joe, when Joe Rudolph was explaining the play calling stuff, he said he was working with Paul, right? Like he kind of mm-hmm. oversaw the runs and Paul oversaw the pass. Is that is that how you took that? I'd have to go back and listen exactly to what he said, but I, I I feel like it is more collaborative than it would be in other programs based on Paul's history. I don't know exactly what that means in terms of divvying things up, but I, I think yeah, I mean he sort of said like. There are instances where, and correct me if I'm wrong, like Paul would suggest they do something. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, we'll do it. So that's how I view the relationship at this point. Like Joe has the majority of the duties, but if Paul sees something that he wants, he will tell Joe and then Joe will implement a plan to do what Paul wants. I guess I was referring to what it had been in the past where it was, he was kind of in control of the run plays and, and Paul was mm-hmm. in control of the pass plays. That's kind of how I understood what he was saying. And now he said he was working with John Budmeyer, you know, when it comes to that type of thing. So uh, that whole situation mm-hmm. is kind of murky to me still. Yeah, I think it is to me too. <laughs> we got some clarity in one aspect, but We'll probably never know the inner workings. It's like a state secret. Mask Up says, what are your expected staff or staff role changes in the offseason? I think that's probably difficult to talk about because I don't anticipate too many moves unless somebody else wants to move on. Like I, I'm trying to think the last time, has Paul yeah. Chris fired somebody? I don't think he has. Yeah, I was going to say zero. I mean, just look at the guys that they've had. I mean, most of them have been there since Paul got there. Rudolph has, Settle has, Chris Herring. Uh, I mean, Leonard came in the second year and and was the defensive backs coach, but he's been the defensive coordinator ever since. Mickey Turner's been there. Uh, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Anoke Brechterfield. Like, who who came in later other than Alvis Witted because uh, Ted Gilmore decided to leave and go to Michigan State? Yeah. No, I mean, it, obviously, Bob Bostad came in later. Then you know yeah, he didn't come with him Justin originally. Wilcox, right, right, left. Yep, yeah. So it's always because of a a coach decides to leave. I just I don't see Paul implementing some massive staff shakeup. I mean, defensively they've been good. So who are you really targeting here? Uh, unless you say he's going to take back play calling duties. I, mean, yeah. I don't see any other change, and I don't even know that I see that change. 
All right. The big question that a lot of people were talking about yesterday is what the hell happened to Julius Davis? Why isn't why is Brady Shipper getting carries over Julius Davis? And yeah, the exact I don't answer for that. An answer. Yeah. It's clearly it's clear for a reason that has not been yes. officially talked about that Agreed. he is in somebody's doghouse because you don't move a safety over to running back and and, and give him carries uh, or at least you know give you know <laughs> put the ball in his hands unless something seriously is 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 up with that situation. So it's clear that there is some frustration on his part uh, because. And his and his dad's part, for that matter. His dad was tweeting out yesterday that yeah, he he can't believe this nonsense. He can't, you know, it was a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm sure that in the moment, parents get like that. Not all of them tweet about it, but some of them do. But yeah, it has to be very very frustrating for him as well as fans to to know what he was in high school and for him not to even um, you know you travel and not get the ball at all, not even get on the field when you're struggling to run the ball. Yeah, there's there's something going on there, and I think it would be speculative of us <laughs> yeah. to figure out why on this podcast. But there, there's no question, given how good he was in high school and how much potential he had. So I suppose we can only hope that uh, <laughs> he'll earn an opportunity at a later date because they need a spark. They need something, especially if Jalen uh, is not going to be available in the in the coming weeks, and we'll just have to see what his situation is but uh it's it's not it's not ideal for the offense right now yeah yeah some of his dad's tweets i'm so fed up with this nonsense i can only imagine what's going through his head i feel the pain this is it for me there's there's a lot of anger there and you know when your offense is struggling and you you think and again we have no clue what julius davis looks like we didn't get to see him once practice he was hurt nope. you know he was hurt. <laughs> he was hurt when when practice was open to us so we have no idea what he looks like it's very possible that he's struggling in practice. We don't know that. But, yeah, there's a uh, there's a significant issue there that he can't get on the field. Before we and get I out, asked Joe Rudolph, I, I, like, a couple yeah. weeks ago, I asked him straight up, like, yep. what's the deal with Julius Davis? And uh wasn't sure I'd get a full answer on that. But he, he basically ended his comment by saying he wouldn't be surprised if Julius played this year. So right. maybe he's just saying that because it's coach speak and it's easier to say something like that than to say, I don't think he's going to play. Yeah. But I... Uh, I was surprised that he said that, and I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I'll take him at his word. Maybe we will, and we still could. There's a couple games left, potentially, but it is uh, very curious. It is. You would think maybe be, maybe with a week to prepare here, because you know when they didn't learn until Friday that Jalen wasn't going to be able to play. So maybe he wasn't even in the conversation of, of potentially having getting playing time. Maybe that changes this week with you know leading into whatever game they play this week. Maybe Maybe he gets more involved in it. I don't know. But before we get out, I need to mention, because it was the positive, the biggest positive of yesterday, Andy Vunovic, the big positive yesterday. He, uh, he was on full display in all his grandeur, dropping punts inside the 20, dropped one at, a, at the 2, a 60-yarder on the 2-yard line. It was a great day to be a punter, both for Iowa and Wisconsin yesterday. He was, he was the star of the game for Wisconsin. Yes, it was less good to be the Iowa punter because he dropped yes. he dropped the ball and then kicked it off the turf and was flagged for a penalty and Wisconsin got the ball to five. But yeah, Wisconsin has found its punter. I think that's probably a sigh of relief to some people who were tired of uh, the Anthony Lottie experience. But uh, I also must give a shout out to Adam Bay, 
who, as a long snapper, managed to recover a fumble. You do not see that very often. So Adam Bay doesn't get talked about very often, just snaps the ball. Uh, good good on him. I believe he's up for an award, isn't he? Is that, isn't there uh, like a, best there, long snapper? Isn't there a... Uh, I think there is a... Yeah, the, the no, Patrick there is. Patrick Manley yeah, Award? Yeah, the Patrick Manley Long Snapper Award. It's a official... It's the um, top FBS senior long snapper. It's founded by Patrick Manley himself. I may be biased because I don't watch a ton of long snapping, and definitely not if it doesn't involve Wisconsin. But uh, I Bay, I think, give I, him the award. I think it's amazing that the guy uh, established the award and then named it after himself. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that is some good stuff there. From uh, he was on the Patrick watch list Manley. preseason, so you know I'm Ooh. just letting you know. Oh, the watch list. Were all 125 long snappers in college football on that list, or or no? Twenty. Don't only twenty. Twenty. Jeez, so it is a big time award. Well, I feel like he's he's got a really good shot at it, and that may that's a big one. If you get that one, I mean, that's just you. They've gotten almost every other award, right? Like at some point throughout uh, throughout the history of the the awards, they've gotten a lot of them at least. Uh, Heisman got the quarterback award. You know, when Russell Wilson, no, oh, who got it? Uh, Scott Tolzien got it. The the Johnny the the uh, Johnny United award. Or what was the gold oh. the Golden Arm award? Whatever that was. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they have. I mean, they've 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 gotten a lot of the awards, but this one has eluded them to this point. And you know, if they get it, it's going front and center in that trophy case. Like that's that's going to be a big time one for for Adam Bay. Is he? Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, and if he doesn't get it this year, will he return to get it next year? That's the big question. Uh, you never know. I think I would. Why not take advantage of the opportunity? Another year, I definitely would take a fifth year if I could, but. I can't, but I think that's a good one to end on, Zach. Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of negativity and pessimism, uh, understandably so. I don't know what more we can say. It's literally like a broken record. Um, maybe they'll score more than seven points next week, though. I'll have to go back in the records. I don't. I can't imagine there's been a time where they've scored less than ten points in four straight games, at least since the 1950s. But we'll see. Uh, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You've been listening to the Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.